Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're joining us online, thank you also for being with us. Hey, the fall festival was mentioned, and I want you to keep those ideas coming for, for Daniel because he hasn't decided on his costume for the fall festival. So don't be afraid to talk with him in person or email him if you've got ideas because it's a big thing for Daniel. You don't have to worry about emailing me. I've already decided I'm going as a musician this year in my attempt to get on the worship team. I'll get that guitar and go as a musician. Hey, a little medical news for you from my life. A week from Wednesday, I will be having cataract surgery. Now, why that matters to you is some of you come in, you go, man, Andy, I'm kind of tired. I say, hey, if you get to the third row, I'll never see you. Well, that's going to change a week from Wednesday. <laughs> and then two weeks after that, I'm having the other eye done. So some of you get to the back row, you think you're good. You're not anymore. In fact, those of you who are watching online and fall asleep, I'm going to be able to see through the camera. I'll see you, and I'll call you out. So just be ready. Cataract surgery. A while ago, I read a study by the CDC because they're concerned about loneliness. And they took people 50 years and older, and they separated kind of the one characteristic that characteristic they were looking at was loneliness. They said lonely people, disconnected people, are at a 50% higher risk for dementia. They're at a 29% higher risk for heart disease and a 32% higher risk for a stroke. Now, that's not only true in our country. Japan, and this is, I'm not making this up, has just recently appointed a minister of loneliness because it is such a problem in their country and their suicide rate is coming from they, This is an issue. Well, those of us who read the Bible shouldn't be surprised for that because we understand that God made us for one another. And without one another, there's going to be physical consequences, just like I talked about. It's going to affect our physical health. But I also want to suggest to you it's going to affect our spiritual health if we're not connected. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Kings 18 and 19, we'll go through these two chapters, wrestling with this question, why do we need each other? From a biblical perspective, from God's perspective, why do we need each other? Now, we're in the second of a three-part series on our essential elements. We're taking a break from the Sermon on the Mount. We'll come back to that. And last, last week, we talked about grow. So we got grow, we got connect, and we got serve. Um, and last week I just said, you know, if we want to gauge how we're growing, how do we know we grow? I talked about, you know, as a little boy, my dad would put us on a wall and it had marks. Well, there's a way to, to measure how we're growing. I suggest there is, as we see our priorities and values change, we know we're growing in our faith as what matters to us begins to line up with those things that matter to Jesus, that Jesus' priorities become our priorities. As we'll see, grow, connect, and serve are, are all related. Um, and so let's jump into our passage. It's probably 850 to 900 B.C. The nation of Israel has fallen under a wicked king named Ahab, and he's got a queen named Jezebel, and he is, they, he and she, are starting to lead them in worshiping Baal, and not Almighty God, who brought Israel as a nation, brought them into the promised land, and has provided for them. 
And so God raises up a prophet named Elijah, and he's going to confront these two and the Baal worship. And so we picked it up in 1 Kings 18, verse 17. It says, when Ahab, and this is the wicked king, saw Elijah, the prophet of God, Ahab said to him, is this you, you trouble of Israel? He, Elijah, said, I, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you've worshipped, you've followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the Asherah, who at Jezebel's table. So, Elijah says, yeah, there's something going on here. We're seeing it real differently on who's supposed to worship who. And so, Ahab, why don't you get 450 prophets of Baal and 400 of Asherah, and we'll get together and we'll have a little contest. And we're going to see whose God is true. So that's 850 to 1, and that's where Elijah's standing. And so we read about that starting in verse 20. It says, so Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer a word. So Elijah said, you got, folks, you got one way or the other. Baal's God, follow Baal. If the Lord, follow the Lord. But the people don't want to. They, they kind of want to have it two ways. So they, they don't answer it. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left. Hold on to that phrase. We're going to come back to that. We'll hear that again. I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood and put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other oxen laid on the wood and I will not put a fire under it. So we're going to have, we're going to have two sacrifices here. Then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So we're going we're to see this. We're going to ask fire from heaven. You call on your God, I'll call on mine. And all the people said this is a good idea. So Elijah came to the prophets of Baal, said, Choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for the, you are many, and call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside or on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out in them. When midday was passed, they raved until the time of the offering in the evening, but, but, there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention, and no fire from heaven. So you've had your time. You call on your God, and you do the things you cut yourself, you do the things you do, and you ain't got squat. Nothing's happened. Now Elijah said, it's my turn. Let's see if my God shows up. So here we go, verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near, and he prepared the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering. 
and on the woods. He said, do it a second time. He did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. He did it a third time. So that, verse 35, the water flowed all around the altar and was also, also filled the trench with water. So nothing, you with me? Nothing's gone on with God's bail. Elijah says, I'm going to call on my God before I do that. We're going we're to drench this thing. It's going to be dripping with water. It's pretty bold. Think your God's going to come through, Elijah? Let's find out. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Oh, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that the people may know what? That you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart Back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now it's beyond the scope of this message to talk about the judgment of God. But as I said before, and Short statement, God at some point will judge sin. He is gracious, he is merciful, but at, sometimes his, at some point his righteousness and his justice demands he respond. And these prophets of Baal have been leading the people into all kinds of stuff, child sacrifice, injustice, trampling, war, I mean, you name it, immorality. At some point, God says, enough. My righteousness demands judgment. Is God gracious and merciful? You bet he is. He sent Jesus was after he's come together perfectly in Christ. But he's also righteous and holy, and we'll judge him. Well, the end of chapter 18, God has Elijah. Uh, he provides rain in a time of drought. And that brings us to chapter 19. So word of this gets to Queen Jezebel, and she's not happy. Here's what goes down. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the Lord, God's do to me even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So let me translate. Elijah, you're dead. I'm the queen of this thing. I, I'm ticked. I'm beyond angry. You're dead by tomorrow. Oh, now let's wait a minute. But, but Elijah, remember, he did the whole 450 or 850, depending on how you count it, to one. Drenches, you, they get nothing, pours water in this thing. So, man, he's got a solid faith, wouldn't you say? I mean, he is not afraid to step out and trust God, so he won't sweat this. Will he? Verse 3. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now, if you've been here before, I've mentioned this many times, so I'll mention it again. God's number one command to his people is what? Do not what? Fear. Do not fear. It sure is. And what does it say about Elijah? He was what? He was afraid. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. He was, I mean, right? We agree. This is a great statement of faith. And God's number one command, I mean, Elijah takes God his word, do not fear, and now he's afraid. What gifts?
Elijah is human. And he feels alone. And all of a sudden, that trust, no doubt of God, begins to wither. And this queen makes a comment, he's gone. He's gone. Where'd he go? Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came there. Sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself, what? That he might die. And said, it's enough now, O Lord, take my life for I'm not better than my father's. How out of sorts is Elijah? He wants to die. Take my life. I can't do this anymore. Has he lost perspective? Probably. But he feels alone. And we'll hear that again. Verses 5 through 8. The Lord sends an angel to feed him, feeds Elijah twice. Verse 9, then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? That's not where you're supposed to be. Verse 10, he said, Elijah, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. You bet you have. You had to pull that big sacrifice off. Turn the hearts of Israel back to God. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And they seek my life, take it away. Second time I've heard that phrase. I alone. And man, my faith is going. Going. I mean, this is one of the boldest statements of trust in God. I'm talking about the sacrifice he does. Pour the water on, get 850, dance all day, do the things you do. I mean, I hope God shows up, and he did. But now, that faith is gone. Second time we've heard that phrase, I alone am left. Verse 11 and 12, God speaks, shows his power to Elijah in the wind and the earthquake and a fire. Pick it up in verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, Have we heard this question before? What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he, Elijah, said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Have we not heard this before? For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek my life to take it away second time we've heard the phrase I alone am left and this faith that was is it's gone see we're asking this question spiritually why do we need each other without others our faith withers. Without others, our faith withers. So I came to faith when I was a college student, and uh, we had people who were really zealous. Jesus and me, that's all I need. That ain't biblical. 
You need Jesus first and foremost, but Jesus never made us to walk this alone. We're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. So after I graduated, got out of AM, I went on staff. Many of you have heard this story before Campus Crusade. My dad thought I was nutty, crazy. What are you doing? And so I got assigned campus ministry in Colorado. And over Christmas break, I would fly home to New Jersey. I'd be there about six or eight days. And then I would fly to a winter conference or a Christmas conference, first in Dallas and then in Denver over the years. We'd be with, I don't know, 1,000 to 1,500 students and staff. But for those eight days that I was home, my parents would say, tell me again, what are you doing? You're crazy, you know. My dad would say to me, you're going to end up in poverty in the streets of New York City. You, this is, and again, my folks were not Christians. They did not have context for what I was doing. But after eight days of that, you know what I think? You know, maybe they're right. You know, I, I'll finish out the school year, and then, you know, I'll probably just step back. Because this is, this is just, this, this is taking my faith too far. And I get in the plane, and I fly back to Dallas, and then a few years later, we'd have our conference in Denver. And I'd get around first, we'd meet with staff, I don't know, maybe 180 to 100 staff, and then the students would come in. And within a couple days, you know what I'd think? What was I thinking? Was I thinking, I'm not quitting? This is the greatest adventure. Why would I do that? You guys, was I, why did I have this swing? Because I was alone. And I was having people tell me, you're crazy for taking your faith this way. And it give me a couple of three days around some people who encourage me and who are like-minded. I'm, I'm thinking differently. We, you and I, we need each other. You serious about walking with God for a lifetime? You need others. And this just isn't my idea. Genesis 2.18, God creates Adam and he says it's not good for man to be alone. And people use that as, a, as the beginning of God's institution of marriage, which it is. But there's a principle behind that. Being alone is not good. Marriage is certainly one way to meet those relational needs, but it's not the only way. Let me remind you, our Savior when he was on earth, Jesus, he was single. Paul wrote a good part of our New Testament. He was single. So marriage is certainly a way, but it's not the only way. But, but the principle holds, single or married, you need other people. I need other people. God did not make us to be alone. So when Paul writes the letter to the Ephesian church, he is writing specifically in chapter 2, targeting Jews and Gentiles who hated each other. You ask, how far does ethnic, how far does racial tension goes back? Well, it goes back at least to the New Testament. It goes back farther than that. But it was in the New Testament. The Jews and Gentiles hated one another, and then they come to faith, the similar faith in Christ, and Paul says, hey, 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 these divisions no more. You're to be together. Here's what he writes, Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Right in the church. So then, you, Jews and Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, 
in whom the whole building being fitted together, that's you and me, is growing into a holy temple of the Lord in whom you also are being built together, built together, Jews and Gentiles, people, built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The church is going to be the intermingling of people from different perspectives, different socioeconomics, different politics, different, 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 coming together, built together to be the church. The expectation is you'll be interconnected. Last week when I talked about grow, I used a passage from Romans 12, 1 and 2, talking about submit. And I said, you know, the, the working of our submission works out in the rest of Romans 12, and I basically cover some topics. Let me share one verse from that, if I might. Romans 12, 10 and 11 says this, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent spirit serving the Lord. This is one of 51 another verses in the New Testament. This faith was never, ever meant to be lived out in solitude. We need one another. God's expectation is we'll be connected to one another. And if you're not connected to others, your faith will wither just like Elijah's done. Does somebody then the first surface ask, what happened? Did Elijah die? No. God um, spared his life and eventually, he's one of the few people that didn't die. God actually took Elijah up into heaven. So he, he survived the big attack from Jezebel, in case you were wondering. But there's a principle from Elijah's life. Man of great faith, withered because he felt alone. So what does this mean for you and for me? We've got, we got to be intentional. I get it. You're busy. you got people screaming your job, your kids' activities, that, 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 screaming for your time. But if, if our faith is important to us, we need to make time for connecting. We need to reschedule priorities. So what, what do you suggest? One, uh, Nate talked about it on the, the North Point Community Highlights, but Jared is leading some of these grow classes, and this is more than just communicating some material. This is about building community in those classes. So if you haven't considered taking one of those classes, let me ask you to do that. Second way to connect. Not the only way, but I want to give you some practical suggestions. Second one. Uh, next November, we're going to start the first Sunday lunch. Every Sunday, we're going to do a box lunch. You can get online, order it. Because um, we think this is important. We hope you'll join us. That's a way. And, and when you go, be intentional about trying to connect with somebody, maybe meeting somebody new, or if you know somebody deep in a relationship, but be intentional. Let's go do that. Let's meet after lunch. Third way I want to suggest is consider serving. Um, you know, there's a bunch of folks that serve on our uh, student ministry team. They've become great friends. There's people that serve together in children's ministry. There's connections being made there. We have a security team that serves together. There's people who serve coffee, and they do it together once a month, and they start to build relationship, connection. Serving is a great way to connect. I mentioned I did 15 years with Camp Crusade, raised support, went overseas, stuff I never thought I'd do. Let me back that train up and tell you where it started. So I really started to get involved in my, with that ministry as a junior college and, and I was so I was in the junior year of um, my degree which is in chemical engineering and for the first time in my life I was really being pushed academically and I had these classes 
Anyway, um, our ministry brings a speaker to campus named Josh McTell. It's not important, but some of you may recognize that. And so people come out, and then he'd have him fill out a card. And this is, okay, this story comes before text. It comes before email. And it comes before even self-adhesive stamps and, and envelopes. So what we do is we break the cards down, and then they get a letter, depending on how they responded. Then you've got to mail that letter. You with me? No text, no email. And when you do that, it's very important that you have extremely gifted people sealing the letter. So you'd have a sponge, and the person would wet the envelope just at the right amount, close that, flip it over, wet, wet the stamp, and put that on, because you want it to look good, the presentation. So you don't get anybody to do that. You get any, just anybody. You get people like me. <laughs> so that's what I did. On a Wednesday and Thursday night, I had a bunch of tests. My grades I was stressed about, but I thought, I think God wants me to give this time and trust him with my grades to serve him. So I did. So the envelopes would come, and I'd get the sponge, and I'd wet it. I'd close it, turn it over, wet the stamp, and put it on. And, and I, was, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I was outstanding at doing that. But you know what happened in the process? I did that for about two and a half hours on a Wednesday and Thursday night. Some letters would come and we'd stop and we'd start talking. And so what's your, what's your major? Where are you from? Where do you live? Oh, I live in Aston. Two, yeah, two, oh, I live, on, I live on that side. Do you go to the crusade meeting on Thursday night? Yeah, do you, would you, do you guys want to walk over together? So, so you, you eat in the commons? Well, well so do I. So In the process of serving, I started building community. And that community fans this relationship with God, and I ended up staying for a graduate degree, and, and up, I don't want to be too simplistic, but that, that service was a catalyst to connecting. If you're looking to connect, I've suggested the class, I've suggested those first Sunday lunches, let me suggest serving. You get shoulder to shoulder with somebody, you begin to build relationship. You begin to build affinity for those people. So a while back, 60 Minutes uh, did a, focused on the horse whisperer. And this is a guy named Monty Roberts and a couple, they, they were actually interviewing the authors who wrote the book on them, they were interviewing Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch, and they were asking all kinds of questions of these two authors about Monty Roberts. And basically, Monty Roberts' secret was this. Uh, to break a horse, he would get in a corral. He got a big corral. And he would get in there, and it would be just him and the horse. And he said, one thing I'd never do, I would never look the horse in the eye. And that horse is not liking being in there. And so it's kicking the ground, and it's snorting, and it, it would circle towards me. And as soon as he circled towards me, he said, I'd walk away. And I'd never look at that horse. And it, it would do this dance for a while. But you know what happened, according to Roberts, eventually? That horse would break. And he said, within a matter of time, I had a horse broken and was riding on top of him. He said, you know why? Because the horse preferred the risk of an unknown relationship to loneliness, to being in there. That animal is created by God. And that's just a picture. That's true of a horse. How much 
more for us who were created in the image of the triune God. Remember, Father, Son, and Spirit bending together from eternity past. God is a relational God in and of himself. Wouldn't he create us to be in relationship? You bet he did. And this faith we're living out is to be lived with one another. If you think you can go it on your own, let me point you to Elijah. He was a bold man. And yet, his faith withered. That's the risk we run when we separate. But if we focus on Jesus, the second part of the Trinity, of the triune God, we'll see that he is a relational being and he's leading us to relationship with God and with others, that our relationships with God and others would flourish to the glory of God. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we are reminded by Elijah that we were created for one another. You, Lord, alone are a reminder. Uh, you're, you're a relational God. You're, you're in the Trinity. Always have been, always will be. And you've called us to this relationship. Lord, that we would... Uh, Learn from your prophet of old that our faith wouldn't wither, that we would grow as, as uh, we're in relationship with others. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.